right, everybody, welcome back to the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in the treatment of OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorders, uh, and all to the purpose of finding a better way to live with it, around it, um, in spite of it, all of those things. So thank you all for joining me today. So uh, typically, this is a question and answer based podcast where you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com, click on the submit a question link. Uh, you can also send me a, a shared Google Drive to your audio file so you can record your voice and send it over, uh, send a, 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 a linked file to the shared Google Drive, send it over to uh, through uh, through the website, or uh, you can even send it over at Instagram. I'm Fearcast Podcast over there. But if you send it uh, through the website, I will read it and uh, put it up on a future episode. If you send an audio, it will cut the line and likely be answered on that, that next episode. So, uh, as a as a tip, if anybody's wanting their question answered in um, post haste, but um, uh, so go over check it out at uh, at the website. But Today is not going to be a question and answer. Today I'm going to be starting off the Anxiety in the Arts series. So I've done a couple of interviews with some people who have been um, generous enough to share their stories and their struggles with anxiety and, uh, and, and how it affects their, their art and performance. So this is going to be a series with um, uh, different folks that, that, uh, that, that I've known or I've known either uh, I've been introduced to or known throughout the years who are artists or performers or musicians um, who have experienced anxiety so uh and and how it has impacted their their ability to go forward and do their art to perform in in whatever facet they they would like what uh what i've been fascinated by these conversations is the the various ways that people have found uh to make it work to do to be able to face their fears to be able to get on with their their career in some facet now something about the series is that i'm not interviewing folks who are are purely on the tail end meaning that are quote fixed or are you know have overcome their anxiety they don't experience and they're living wild and free some people are still struggling with it some people are finding or, or, or maybe they're in the middle of it and they're still finding ways that are working but still having some struggles from time to time I, I wanted to put these stories out there because it's people are, are both right we're in the middle of things we're we're overcoming things and we're still we're still at the front end of things so the the folks that I'm interviewing are are kind of in 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 transition or in transit through their their process so um, uh, so I'm going to be starting today with uh, with my friend Sarah. So she is a country artist, country singer, and she's going to be sharing a little bit about her story in, in just a moment. Um, and uh, if you if you have any if you would like to see a little bit more about her, uh, see some of her uh, some of her videos, hear some of her music. I'm going to be tagging some videos and some other links to uh, to her content over at FearCastPodcast.com. If you go to the the episode page for Sarah, you'll be able to see uh, her her information up there so uh it'll either be called sarah or sarah winchester e- either way you'll be able to see a little bit more about her but uh she's uh she's a, a fantastic person to chat with i've known her for quite some time uh and uh i she uh she shared uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fantastic tips and tricks for folks who are struggling with uh just a- a- anxiety and self-doubt uh, throughout uh, throughout their career music career or just uh, throughout their 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 life so without further ado here's my interview with Sarah Winchester. All right, Sarah Winchester, thank you so much for joining us for today on this episode of the podcast. Yeah, you are so welcome. Happy to do so. Absolutely. Well, um, well, why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about you, telling us about your your music and your uh, adventures and extravaganza through the world of, of art, music, performance, and mental health. Sure, you got it. Um, let's see, the extravaganza. So I play a barrage of instruments ranging from saxophone, banjo, guitar, uh, starting to learn the violin, you know, just keeping an interesting piano, harp, why not? Um, but basically, I'm a singer. That is the hardcore part of it. That's what I make my living at, um, especially prior to the pandemic. I would say about 80% of my living was singing, just straight up, whether it was in musical theater over at second city in Hollywood or country music, which is still one of my primary forms of income. 
Um, but I've pretty much sang my whole life and that's always been a very deep part of me as a human being is just singing. Um, and then the instruments are usually to facilitate the singing with the exception of saxophone, which I learned because of the Simpsons, because, you know, Lisa is the coolest, uh, real obviously, stories. obviously, <laughs> obviously. So, um, yeah. And then I, I started writing. I started uh, as an actor. I was a child actor and I continue to do acting to this day and I do voiceover work. So art is deeply embedded in me. And even as hobbies, I end up picking up other art forms. So like painting is one of my favorite hobbies to do and I don't sell it. I don't make any money off of it. I just enjoy it. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I'll be like, oh, I'm going to pick up a hobby and it always ends up being something creative. Like every hobby I do, I don't ever pick up sports. Mm. It's just never going to happen. Why would there's you do no, that? There's no golf clubs in my life, but let me tell you, I can embroidery, I can uh, crochet, I can cross stitch, anything that makes something. I'm like, Oh yeah, I want to learn. How do I do this? So that's uh, the core of me is very artistic. That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Gosh, it, 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 just in the conversations that I've had with, with folks, uh, I've, I'm finding the f- people who are uh, kind of identify themselves as creative types or, or, are, or are making their money being, uh, being a musician, artist, performer, uh, it, they, they describe it as this being drawn towards arts or drawn towards creativity. Not, it's kind of fun. It's like if they have downtime, they're going to do something and inevitably it's going to fall within that world. Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. And it's funny because I found that some of the stuff that ended up becoming my living was things that I had started because I was bored or I had downtime. You know, I was doing musical theater, and I had downtime. This was like high school, college age, and so I started writing songs on my guitar. And now I sell songs I've written and I perform songs I've written as well as covers. And I do that as part of my living. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of a funny thing that even the things that I start out doing as, you know, for funsies on the side, not intending to make into a career or intending to make into a profession end up kind of getting drawn into that because I become very obsessed and I, I just have so much fun doing it. And it's, it so speaks to me as a human being um, as more than just like, Oh, I can do accounting. You know, it's like, it's uh, it's embedded in my skin of like, oh, wait, I need to do this. And if I haven't played an instrument in a while, I do get a little uh, almost like a, a drug withdrawal, you know, mm-hmm. where I'm itching of like, oh, I need to just play something. Does someone have an instrument somewhere? I just I just need to grab it and play it for a second. Is that OK? <laughs> I just can't stop. I, I, I know that feeling. If my bass sits on the wall for too long, I'm like, I just need to like hit a couple of notes or yeah. just just play. I don't know play that funky music white boy just that right. line once yeah just I'll one seinfeld it. riff <laughs> and then i'll call it and i just put it down and i see it again in another couple of weeks but okay exactly well i i appreciate you telling us that and it's also um i didn't know you played banjo i'm gonna ask about that later um but the uh, well i guess I'm, I'm curious then about how how did as this podcast is supposed to be so this is me trying to figure out where i'm going in the middle of our conversation it sounds good it. doesn't it it sounds great. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about how, when you first started, you said you were talking about how you were a child actress. Did that start off as something just purely fun? Was that something your parents put you in? Was that something that, um, uh, at, at, and at some point, how did anxiety start to creep its way into that, or, 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 or did it? Sure. Um, so, it's funny, because one of my earliest memories, I'm about two years old, And I have mostly the memory of the emotion, not Mm -hmm. as much of the specifics, but my mom has told me this story enough times that I can label them as, as such. So the first time I performed in front of an audience, I was two, I wore a itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. And I sang the song itsy bitsy teeny weeny yellow polka dot bikini. Makes sense. And I remember having anxiety. I remember having that feeling, you know, that your breath catches and it's a little like, I don't, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. And, um, I told my mom about it and she goes, Oh, it was so cute. Obviously we're going to, we don't need to talk about parenting life, but Uh so cute that apparently I told her afterwards, I was like crying and she goes, you know, what's the matter? I said, they were all laughing at me. She goes, no, no, no. They were smiling and their smiles got so big that it made noise and that it came out like laughing, but they weren't laughing at you. They liked what you did and they, they were so happy that it, it sounded like they were laughing, but they weren't laughing at you. They mm. were just laughing at how cute it was and enjoying it. And that's how they were enjoying it. Mm. Um, retranslated is apparently in my two-year-old brain. So that means like from earliest 
you know, developmental life. There's an anxiety of what do they think of my performance? What do they think of my singing? The thing that I do aimlessly. Mm -hmm. So my entire childhood, my mom would say like, oh yeah, you were always singing just constant, like Mm -hmm. a constant stream of singing coming out of a tiny little body, just Mm -hmm. roaming around the house, roaming around theme parks, roaming around school, (laughs) constant. Um, And that's like one of my earliest memories. And the reason I even got into it and I still kind of feel this at times. So um, fun fact about me, I'm a middle child of six. For those of you listening, I know Kevin knows this, but um, I was the youngest for the first eight years of my life. And my older siblings are twins, which very much changes sibling dynamics. When your older siblings are identical twins, they started acting first. And then my mom was like, you know, putting me kind of in childcare or giving me to a babysitter. And I wanted the same attention. I wanted to be noticed. It was like, look, I'm here too. Mm. I can do stuff like I'll sing, I'll dance, whatever you want. I can do it. And that's pretty much how I got into acting was when I'm on stage, you have to look at me. You have to notice me. Mm. I'm noticed now. And it turned into something that I loved and it turned into something that I, you know, um, my happy place, if you will. But the before and after of shows, even still sometimes brings on a lot of anxiety because it needs to be, you know, liked if it's not enjoyed then is it worth doing, you know, and that, that conflict, that internal conflict of doing it for myself, but also doing it for the reaction and for the appreciation. Um, and so I think that's a roundabout way of answering your question, but basically forever is how long I've been performing and anxiety was there from the very beginning. Mm, right. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it's interesting that they, that, well, at what point did it start to become more concretized into that idea that that the the art or the, your your performing needs to be uh, needs to be appreciated from from their end as opposed to a a per- performance because of something that you genuinely wanted to do or that was coming from from you as a as an expression? Did that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So I think the um, <clears throat> I think that the initial feeling was leaning closer to the appreciation of needing to be appreciated, noticed, wanted in that way. Um, And then as I found that I was naturally gifted at it, I didn't have to work, you know, it's it's not like I had voice lessons and that's how I became a great singer Mm -hmm. to this day. I've, I've never had voice lessons. I've had creative directors who have helped me learn, you know, vocal technique and things like that, but I've, I've never had a voice lesson in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I have, paid my bills singing for most of my adult life. So I'm very good at it. Um, But I, it just came naturally to me and instruments come naturally to me. If you put me, lock me in a room with an instrument, give me a week and I'll come back out and play you a song. I mean, it's just the way my brain is wired. Mm -hmm. So as I found my natural inclination to it, that's where it started to shift. And I would say that was right around like eight or nine when I started to realize, Oh wait, I'm, I'm good at this. And it's fun and it fulfills a certain piece of me. There's a certain kind of, um, you know, portion of my love tank for lack of better, you know, not so cheesy words, Mm -hmm. but there's a portion of that that isn't completed if I'm not doing something creative and usually musically inclined, um, to be fair. That's a, a bigger part of it than necessarily writing or acting. Music is a very, very big part of my soul. And if I don't fulfill portions of that, just even in my own time, one just by myself in my room, um, there's a certain amount of depression that, that becomes agitated and worsens from me not participating. And it's not just a matter of listening. I have to do it. Like actually get out my guitar and play something or get out my piano and play something or sing along to something and find a harmony part that I really like, and then go out and figure out what key is this in and, and really wrap my brain around almost the mathematics of it to really Mm -hmm. absorb it. Um, and I think right around eight or nine was when I started to realize like, oh, this this actually feeds my soul. This is actually good for me, not just, you know, fulfills the need to be noticed or the need to be, you know, have an identity outside of the twins little sister or outside of, you know, the youngest, you know, the youngest girl in the family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of when you're starting to then take that on for yourself as something that you, you liked independently. But it sounds yes. like then from two to six 
it was you know I'm 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 carving out a space for myself in the space that has been set out as where people can be noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's I mean it was basically a, a cause and effect. If I step on stage and I sing a solo, the then you guys notice me. That's mm-hmm. how I get that that thing I want. Mm-hmm. So if I just keep doing that, I'll keep getting what I want. And then eventually it it was became more than that. Right, right. So, I guess, tell me when you first started to notice how anxiety, either anxiety or other mental health concerns started showing up and impacting your ability to perform. Sure. Um, I mean, I would say it's it's a never-ending process mm-hmm. to you know, I'm, I'm currently in therapy on a regular basis. I love therapy. Highly recommend y'all. Um, but we're okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I, I think that it's almost like the more, you know, about it, the more you realize how long it's been there. And so for me, right around junior high, high school was when I started writing music and it became a very easy way for me to journal. So when I was feeling anxious, even about life, so I was feeling anxious about dating relationships or feeling anxious about friendships or just anything under the sun if i could sit and write a song about it usually and i don't i don't even really know if i'm explaining this in a way that is uh is absorbable for all audiences i know that's not a word but i'm going to use it um audience is a word okay great (laughs) um is as soon as the song sounded good i would like stop look at what i'd wrote and go oh, that's actually how I feel. So if I was just writing it Mm. to be like, oh, this rhymes or this sounds good or this will be fun or this idea, concept, whatever. Mm -hmm. As soon as it rang true, it gave that like goosebump feel of like, oh, this is good. There's something good in this song. Mm -hmm. I could take a step back and read it. And so it was like my own self-analysis of where, like, what am I anxious about? What am I stressed out about? What am I depressed about? I have, I have depression, mm-hmm. I have ADHD, and I have anxiety. So those are my, my fun favorite mental illnesses that I keep in my bag at all times, mm-hmm. just in case. Um, you need to spice things and, up. Right, exactly. And by that, I mean, I'm actually officially diagnosed with all of those things and have medication for most of them. So, like, the ability to, to pinpoint and, and detangle kind of all of these different feelings you know i wasn't diagnosed with adhd until i was 30 Mm -hmm. so for the first 30 years of my life it's a very messy thing to figure out why am i doing this behavior or why do i feel the need to drink or why do i feel the need to to talk over everyone around me (laughs) why do i feel the need many things which are very clear symptoms of adhd but why do i feel the need to do this my art allowed me to find where the the cause of the the feeling what's the core of that feeling was the core of the feeling that i want to be loved and i'm not feeling loved is the core of the feeling that i i'm concerned about my future and i'm applying to colleges and i don't know what college i'm supposed to go to Mm -hmm. and then i'll get to like the bridge and it's like oh i'm i'm trying to choose a college that will make my parents happy and not me happy Mm. oh okay okay that's where i'm at um, and I even have a song that's out right now. You could listen to it on Spotify, but it's it's called Get Gone. And literally the bridge, mm-hmm. if you listen to the lyrics at their core true value, are literally me saying, I'll kiss my mother on the cheek and hope she's happy for me. Mm. I'll give my daddy a big bear hug and hope it's filled with love. It's like this feeling of I want, you know, in the next lyric is I want to make them proud, show them I'm enough. It's like I want... I want to be living for myself, but I also want to make sure I'm loving my parents and I, I'm loving them from my core and not as an obligation. You know, it's and it's complicated and weird as that is. I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, my art has allowed me to detangle, to clear, to get to the thesis statement of what I'm really concerned about and where my anxiety is rooted in. Is it rooted in parental relationship? Is it rooted in my loneliness? Is it rooted in my religion? Where Where is this current feeling of anxiety coming from and my art allows me to to kind of sift and sort and go there that that's what i need that's what i need to look at that's what i need to re-examine mm-hmm. to try to reduce the panic attacks reduce the uh needing my inhaler and all that good stuff you know that's that's where that lives right right do, do you find that as you are 
have, or have, have you found a way to do that on a regular basis? Or I guess a better question is, are, are, do you do that on a regular basis as a consistent way to help kind of a, a arrange your thoughts, kind of like a, you know, dear diary at the end of every day sort of thing where this mm-hmm. is where you're going to sit down and start to ostensibly write a song, but in the process, sometimes get a song, but sometimes get a recognition of where of where you're at. Sure. Um, so I think as I've moved into therapy and medication, mm-hmm. I haven't had to, fortunately, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it means my brain is is distilling on its own without having to to literally get out an instrument and sit down with like a notepad and sit there and like rewrite and write and rewrite and cross off and then go, oh, I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say in like I could show you right now, I have binders after binders after binders of just lyrics music lyrics music lyrics music lyrics Mm -hmm. and i would say right around junior high when i first learned guitar i taught myself in my room um just the basic you know five chords for those of you that play guitar i'm sure you'll giggle to yourself because everyone pretty much knows how to play those five chords i'm speaking of five chords and a capo that's all you need that's all you need um and that continued all the way through till right around my diagnoses and medication and then you know, regular therapy and that filled a lot of that place. But I still, I would say when I get to a place of utter frustration of like my anxiety peaking, if you will, and I can't, and I can't put my finger on what's going on. Mm -hmm. If I have the sanity and the clarity to go, let me just sit down and write a song and see what happens. Then it's, it's still very effective well into my thirties. So yeah, and and I, I'm sure that 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 skill didn't just come to you. It's something that you know in, in the process of trying to figure out the the things that work for us. We, you know, we 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 try twenty to thirty or a thousand other things that all of them k- kind of work, maybe didn't kind of work. Were were there? What was that process to try to figure out this the thing that was going to work for you? What were some things that you thought, oh, this is going to help, but ended up failing or, or or didn't help me address my anxiety depression relationships sure yeah absolutely i would say exercise is one of the the biggest ones that you know bunny ear quotes helps yeah. and it does you know mental health and exercise obviously mm-hmm. those are things that should go hand in hand but for me i think like right before i got diagnosed i was at the peak of my like nothing is working. And I did not have the wherewithal to be like, I was kind of mad at music. I'd had some bad experiences and was like, okay, I'm not going to do music. I'm just going to go, you know, I'll, I'll get my MBA and I'm going to work in a business office. I'm going to be an office person. Mm -hmm. Um, which then of course equaled me, you know, starting to drink more. And I was like very miserable and uh, borderline suicidal to be honest. Mm -hmm. But I thought, okay, well, everyone says if you exercise, it'll help your mental health. Uh okay help is the key to that sentence so i was Not working fixed. out like two hours in the morning i would take a spin class and then i would take a pilates class and then i would work for like 10 hours and then i'd go back to the gym take another workout class and then run like eight or nine miles and i was miserable it did not help anything mm-hmm. because at that point like all the exercise in the world is not going to fix your mental health i mean if you have minor things i don't know maybe chemically that will help but Mm -hmm. like help is the key you need still therapy potentially like medication potentially like there's many other things that go into stabilizing your mental health exercise is not the only factor and it it really did me more harm than good Mm -hmm. of trying to be like okay well everyone says this is what's going to fix it so i'm going to dig really deep into this or make more money that was a big one of like well if you're excuse me good morning if you're making more money at your art well then you'll be you'll be happy that'll satisfy right and the reality is is that also did not do me any favors and led me into areas of the music industry areas of the entertainment industry that were not fulfilling Mm -hmm. that were you know sometimes derogatory i mean just really not good areas that it was like okay but if you make them more money and exercise you'll you'll fix it it'll all be fixed Mm. And getting back to that core of, you know, my adolescence of going, wait, hold on. I remember when I used to write songs, I was able to process and I was able to sift through 
and and get a little closer to feeling human if you will um instead of just feeling like a puddle of emotions and anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. um or just hangovers because alcohol made everything go away and that was perfect um obviously for sure so (laughs) yeah for sure medicate your adhd with alcohol guys it works really well until you stop drinking and then it doesn't it didn't do anything in case you thought it did (laughs) um yeah that was a fun a fun yo-yo game for me but yeah i would i would say all of those kinds of things were areas i looked to to try to you know for lack of better terms fix my anxiety or relieve my anxiety right and my art was really the only thing that ever gave me any you know legitimate form of relief and then combining that with therapy and medication is really for me has gotten me to the healthiest place i've ever been is regularly performing regularly learning new songs writing new songs Um, I probably learn a new song, at least two new songs a week. That's just kind of the nature of my business. Um, And I probably still to this day will write a portion of a song or a a total song. Mm -hmm. I would say at least one a week, maybe more than that, um, depending on what's going on. And and I have a running uh, note on my phone, which I highly recommend for anybody else that's in that kind of realm of like, oh, I have ideas write them down so uh-huh. before they leave you mm-hmm. but um just free think write it down yep. or free think while you're in the car dictate it let your car write it down but i have a running list of like lyrics or song ideas and then sometimes i'll get home and look at it and go like oh that's a terrible idea for a song but i see why i went there and that's actually more about what's going on in my mind right now that i need to deal with from a you know from a personal standpoint not necessarily like i need to write a song about it right right um yeah, I remember uh, a story from uh, Bela Fleck. You've mm-hmm. heard of Bela Fleck. Um, if you haven't out there, look him up. Um, yeah. But he said that for the for one of their bigger songs or one of my favorite songs called Big Country, he had the idea for it, and he called his his answering machine at his house. This is before yeah. this is answering machines. There's a little tape in it, youngsters. Um, he called it <laughs> and he sang it to himself into his answering machine. So when he got home, because inevitably that melody was going to be gone. But yeah, yeah, I love the idea of having just something with you to write this thing down. What what I also find interesting, and, and maybe you can um, maybe correct us. So in in the in the arc of the things that you were doing creatively, that that you had also found out to be helpful. It's like you were doing. You kind of discovered that kind of writing music in high school was really beneficial, and then there was this kind of gap. It seems where then later on sometime in your 20s perhaps or even into your 30s i don't know when this time frame was you you kind of looked back at that thing that was helpful so many years ago and said maybe i'll try that thing again because all these other things in between aren't really doing what that thing did yeah did that feel like a did that feel like an aha moment? Did that feel like a, I guess I'll try it or like a defeat moment? Like I'm, I should, shouldn't all these other things be working? Yeah. Um, I, I guess yes to all of the above. Okay. Um, so yeah, that would be right around my, like, so I was doing the songwriting and all of that, I would say well into my early twenties. And then when life had a few too many traumas, had a few too many things. And my, my, um, my brain could no longer make wise choices <laughs> for lack of better terms. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started getting on medication, so right around my late twenties. Um, so there's probably like an eight year gap in here where mm-hmm. I wasn't really writing and I was trying all these other things and nothing was working. And then right at the very, very end of my twenties, early thirties, um, when I started taking medication, that's when some of the fog started to clear. And that's when I, excuse me, I don't know if I'd say aha moment more of, well, I'll try anything. And I, and there's, and more like, um, like a vague recollection, like there was something over there, you know, there's something in that area that worked or, or did something for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think ultimately it was as the fog was clearing my desperation to get back to when I most felt like myself, Mm -hmm. when my, my mental, you know, different elements of it were not so woven into me when the traumas of my adult life were not so woven into me that my identity was lost mm-hmm. of like, well, like who was I when I was a kid and I didn't have all these other things, you know, going on to kind of fog who I am when I was still creative without any, you know, creative for the sake of being creative. Cause I loved it or writing songs because it 
it was it meant something for me not necessarily of what i'm gonna do with the song at the end um Mm -hmm. and i think getting back into it i I've, i've come up with this metaphor for people that don't have mental illness so uh, or any kind of things going on. Mm-hmm. So for me, my mental health, uh, especially my depression, I would say, and my anxiety when it's at its peak, to do any of the good things, we'll say, take a shower, eat breakfast, put your laundry away. We'll just say basic functions. Mm-hmm. When I'm at my worst, my brain equivalates, you know, uh, equates that with putting your hand on a hot stove. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't do it no, 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 I promise, don't do any of that. It's a bad idea. So it's basically like if someone put a flame in front of you and they're like, okay, put your hand on top of it. And you're like, no, every fiber of my being knows that's a bad idea and I'm not going to do it. That's what my mental health does to me. Mm. So I have to basically go ignore all of my senses that are telling me don't do this and just do it. And literally it's matter over mind Mm. and go, okay, just, you know, put the laundry away. So getting back to writing music mm-hmm. was a little bit like that, where there's this one part of my brain going, I have this vague recollection that it was good over there. And my mental health at its worst is going, no, no, you'll, you'll light on fire. If you do that, it's going to be the worst. <laughs> right. And then I start doing it and I'm like, hey, you're a liar. Yeah. You brain. tricked me again. You tricky little jerk. And uh, <laughs> the more I did it, the more it was affirming of, oh yeah, okay, this is it. And I was able to really identify it and go like, oh, it's not just something over there. It's this, this specific thing um, is what was going on and what was helping me. And then now knowing that's what it is, I can go back to it on a regular basis, you know, for the last, whatever, six, seven years um, and help myself by utilizing that skill. How do you, how have you learned to discern those two voices? I know we're kind of getting, you know, we're, we're, try to concretize this very abstract idea but like how do you discern between those two voices where it's you know a a lot of people will will say well i follow my intuition but that intuition sometimes sounds a lot like the anxious voice or our our depression voice how do you discern i think for me it's uh lean into logic okay so if my brain is telling me if you put this laundry away it's going to take so much time and then you won't have time to do anything else. And it starts going on this like ramble, ramble list. And then I go, is there anything to this? Is there any reality that will tell you? I live in a studio apartment at this particular juncture in time. So if I have laundry, that is my entire home is laundry. (laughs) And so let me tell you all, there are studies about, you know, tidiness with mental health and it's not cute um it will not help your brain to keep a mess all over your house and that's more of a recent learn for me was like oh if my house is going you know to absolute shit it's because my mental health is digressing and i need to look at that like Mm. oh okay these these actually go down the same these are holding hand in hand down a path of like oh we should look yeah so um I think for me, it's logic. Like, logically, is there any reason to not do your dishes? Mm-hmm. Logically, is there any reason to not take a shower? Log- like, put some logic into it. Mm-hmm. And if there's nothing that logically tells you that's a good idea, and as much as this is a gift and curse, the internet is such a, a problematic area. But I will say, <laughs> my favorite thing is to Google things together and go like, uh, you know, messy room, ADHD. And you'll find like 800 articles that tell you, A, it's normal, B, fight against it, mm-hmm. and like matter over mind, try to clean because it will actually help you. And sometimes they even have tips and lists and things like that. So I know for me, if it's like anxiety and nausea, mm-hmm. what a weird thing to Google. But for me, I was able to find some things that were like, yeah, try doing these some some breathing exercises and here's some helpful things to try and then bringing it up to my therapist and going hey i noticed i feel nauseous on this day and i think it's my anxiety because i'm starting to get panic attacks what can i be doing and let my professional therapist who i've had for you know 6 years mm-hmm. work with me through it um but i think that's the best way to to detangle the mental health voice from reality and your you know quote unquote gut intuition your gut intuition is a feeling and feelings unfortunately can be manipulative even Mm -hmm. for yourself Mm -hmm. like my own feelings manipulate me 
And that's, you know, knowing, having a professional, <clears throat> looking at the logic of it. Those are good ways to go. Mm, okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's not true. That's, that's what we call a lie. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it sounds like also within that you've, you've had to, you've had to trial and error your way through that and to kind of think about what what is ultimately going to be helpful for me in this moment versus unhelpful for me not you know is this going to be easy i think so often we hear stories are like oh if it's if it if it's the right thing to do it'll be easy or if it the right thing will be it, it, it will it will come to you you'll know and sometimes we we don't and sometimes the 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 quote the right thing to do is the hard thing to do but it's also to say that the right thing to do is not always the hard thing to do sometimes the right thing is the easy thing to do so it's kind of in that kind of learning what what's going to be more beneficial for me right now and kind of historically you've gone like all right historically i know it's probably going to serve me more to do this and i'm just going to trust history version of me as opposed to temporary emotional version of me yeah and i think trusting what you know you know if you my uh i won't say which sister and since i have you know four of them it doesn't really give anything away but one of my sisters has mental health issues and um she and i talk a lot and you know, distilling for her how to help, the, you know, figure out what that voice is helps me for myself because then I'm saying to her things I need to say to myself anyways. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, her, her and I have a running dialogue of, wait, hold on, hold on. The mantra you just said, we know that's a liar. You know, the mantra of you're useless, it, people will be better off if you're not here, you're more of a hassle than a help. You know, these, these lies that I think for people with depression or even anxiety, you know, if you say that to this person, they're going to hate you forever. They're never going to speak to you again. If it starts to become like a diatribe, it starts to become this mantra that you seem to be, that you know, pokes up all the time, flag it and go, hold on, hold on. That's something I tell my, my, for me, mine was, I am lazy. That's something that I, you know, because I sleep in, because I have late night shows, it was something my therapist and I worked a lot on and I still work on it of going, oh, well, I was lazy, so I didn't do that. And then I had to go, okay, hold on. It wasn't that I was lazy. It's that I had to prioritize other things that needed to be done first. That is why that didn't get done. It was not because I am lazy. I got done 800 things that day. It was, I wasn't at home napping. I'm not lazy. So I think if you're finding yourself repeating these same phrases and they're negative towards you or they're mm -hmm. derogatory towards you, I mean, literally you're insulting yourself, mm -hmm. you know, write it down, look at it and go, okay, hold on. Is that real or is that just my brain self-sabotaging and making me feel worse about something I don't need to feel worse about? I'm allowed to stand up for myself and tell someone, hey, that was offensive. Can you not say that to me? And if they don't like it, you're allowed to just say, okay, great. Then we're not going to be good friends. Fine. No problem. New boundaries. Like these are normal things. So I think also like knowing your own patterns, mm -hmm. like what you were saying of for yourself. If I know, I usually go, don't do the laundry. It'll take 800 years. You'll be an old lady with the gray hair and it'll still be there. No, that, that's called a lie. Like just, just put the laundry away, just sort the socks. It's fine. It'll take 10 minutes tops. Like set a timer. You'll see it's fine. <laughs> right. I mean, how, how does all that, how, how is that then impacted in kind of a band relationship or a, a performing relationship? Because, you know, you, you especially in a band, you're going to be getting feedback, right? The bass player is going to say, "Oh, why don't you try this?" Or the guitar player is going to say, "Oh, this will this would sound really good." How how do you manage your own anxieties and your own um, in, in, in communication within that band setting? Sure. Um, I mean, for me at this point, I run my own band, so I, I do tell them regularly, like, "Hey, guys, it's a it's a open forum. You know, say anything you like, or if you want to add songs, let me know. Whatever." Um, but we're pretty, we're very constructive criticism. We're a very, you know, helpful environment, but it's, I think my anxiety forces me to be quote unquote the best. Um, and so I, like, I will recognize I messed something up long before my band does, or I will recognize, you know, I think it would be better if that walk down was done. I think that's a beat early. Um, or, Hey, do you think I'm coming in early here? Should I move? <laughs> you know, like, would it be better? Um, or, hey, do you think you could do a double solo? I think you could. So because I'm in charge, I tend to nitpick long before anybody else does. And so I think in a communication of my anxiety, it's it's um, sometimes the gift is the gigs I have last minute 
that I don't have the time to really sit and prepare Mm -hmm. because it forces me to go out on stage and affirm the fact that I know what I'm doing. I've worked very hard to be able to do what I do Mm -hmm. and I don't actually need to sit there and beat myself up leading into the gig like to make sure I'm ready because the reality is, is most of the gigs I do, I was ready the day I booked the gig. You know, this was not something I needed to, I'm not lying to get my way there. I'm not faking it till I make it Mm -hmm. like, no, no, I I am 100% ready for this job. So I think for my anxiety, those sometimes, even though they're more uh, upsetting because you're like, Oh no, I don't have time to like practice every single one of these songs. I have four hours worth of music and three days and I just don't have time to sit down through all of these songs and make sure my keys are right and make sure my you know everything is perfect those are kind of the gift because then you get to the gig and you're like well let's see what happens and I over time and I don't know when this started I'm gonna guess college (sighs) but um I started kind of having this thing for myself I am very rarely anxious on stage Mm-hmm. It's so rare. Usually it's like if there's a new song that I don't feel like 100% about, I might have a like a tinge of anxiety. Yeah. But my rule is always once you're on stage, it's going to be what it's going to be. You're done. There's no more time to go listen to it one more time. There's you're done. It is what it is. So just embrace it. Figure out for me I have my own little tricks and shortcuts if I forget a lyric or if I forget where something goes, how to kind of fix it on the spot. But um so it's very rare in the moment of performing that I have any kind of anxiety, depression, any of it. My ADHD sometimes. I'm Sometimes I am thinking about what I want to eat after the gig. That's fair. I'm multitasking. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. But before the gig is where my anxiety is the worst because it's I can think through the 8,000 ways it could go horribly awry. Everything ranging from forgetting a lyric to, you know, the building getting set on fire. I mean, the, the range is wide of all the things I get anxious about. Right. But as I manage my expectations going in, if it's events I've done before and I go, okay, well, what's the worst that's going to happen at the branding iron? You know, it's going to be fine. I know we've had someone have a heart attack on the dance floor while performing. It was fine. That person lived. It was good. Uh, You know, the paramedics came, we paused, they helped the person into their ambulance and we continued on our way. Like there's nothing, my expectations are managed. I know, I know the worst that could happen. So it's fine. And I think, then trying to apply that same logic into new gigs that I don't necessarily know all the details and the ins and outs and how long it takes to get there and you know how many sets need to be and do I know all the, enough lyrics for all this and um, that helps me manage my anxiety when I can lay out as many of, of the you know things I know things I don't know and then go okay AA mantra you know <laughs> learn the things you can control and uh, let go of the things you can't and the discernment to know the difference. I, I I can imagine that's that is then different if you're in a studio setting, especially yeah. especially you know <clears throat> in, in you can record you can record fourteen hours of vocals to pick out the right way to just do a, a two a two bar thing. Yeah, and I've had to work to to be um, open to not necessarily flexibility, but I think in my younger days if I was going to a studio, I would want to be just as prepared as if I needed to do it on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, like they, they gave me this nickname at one of the studios I record at that I was the one take wonder. Cause I would go in and in one take, I would nail it. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, how, how did you nail the entire song in one take? We were ready to like break it down into chunks. Right. And sometimes they'll even break it down into chunks, record it in those chunks and then go, no that first take where you did the whole thing that was perfect that's what we actually are going to use and that's what they use so i think um i think i've had to learn to work through some of that anxiety of like no why don't i not have it nailed down exactly you know all the things yet be prepared obviously note the song (laughs) don't come in like what are we doing today guys but be open to new licks to come in new ad libs to try new you know, harmonies to try be open to trying something new versus being mm-hmm. so uh, over prepared that it's like, well, I, I won't screw up and they'll let me do it again. You right. know, they'll ask me back. I'll get to keep doing it if I'm perfect and learning to let go of that within my art and go, well, it's not about being perfect. It's about coming in as an artist and going, okay, how else could we paint this? How else could we sing this? Right. Is there another rearrangement of these lyrics maybe that 
could shift the syncopation would that would help and make it more palatable or whatever um and i think as you get more confident in your art i think that's where that comes from and for me getting the affirmation of it and getting asked back you know i get asked back a lot like if i work with one engineer they tend to bring me back over and over and over again and i'm i'm grateful for that cuz it relieves some of that anxiety of like well hold on again logic first logically this person has brought me back eight times what is the likelihood that they mm-hmm. don't like me right what's the likelihood they don't like what i do what's the likelihood they think i suck at my job right yeah you're, pl- you're playing back your experience yes and playing back the pattern seen. of yeah yeah exactly of like well they keep bringing me back logic would tell me they like me they want me here they like what i do and that's why they keep asking me. So why don't I just go in knowing that versus going in like, um, I'm just going to try to sing it for you real quick. And hopefully you'll like what I right. thought of. But that doesn't help anybody. Right. And when you go in second guessing yourself with that with that mentality of, of constantly trying to prove yourself, we can usually screw ourselves over by thinking too much as as evidenced by, you know, if you got a gig that night, no time to obsess about it. Just we've got to get through it. Usually yeah. it, from your experience, it's it has it's worked out. It's it's been fine. Yeah. And I think yeah. with singing, especially um, the voice gives away a lot, you know, and I think if you go into some of these things anxious, it can actually tighten mm. your vocal cords. It can give you like dry mouth, which then also will strip your vocal cords. Um, and there's very few, there are some minor techniques you can try, but for mm. the most part, the only way to fix that is to relax. You, you just, you can't fake being relaxed and singing um it's very very hard to do and i think if you've done it long enough it's a muscle and you get to that muscle memory where you can kind of tap into it but even for me if i get to a gig where you know i I find out something about someone who's there that they don't like me or they've said you know i found out one gig i was at that um a male band counterpart that plays this gig as well is getting paid almost double what i'm getting paid it was really hurtful uh did not appreciate it and so it, it really gave me a lot of anxiety of like well why am is this a feminist thing? Is this a, like, why am I not getting paid the same amount? I'm doing the same amount of work. They're telling me I'm one of their top three bands. Like what's going on? That person's not even in the top three. How are they, what is happening? And I, I literally had to go like sip some whiskey just to like calm my nerves. Cause I was so anxious about, you know, is what I'm doing on stage not working? Is that why this is, even though I play at this venue regularly, I, like they the admiration i get from everyone there from all of the staff from Mm -hmm. every single person involved is nothing but praise so i know that it's not that and it's it's obviously probably that i don't ask for more money often enough that's a fault of mine which i think is part of my anxiety is going well if i ask for more money they're not going to have me back or they're going to not want me anymore and and that all kind of plays into it so sometimes on a show, I will literally just have to be like, okay, I'm going to sip some whiskey. I'm going to sip some bullet just to calm this like running snowball that's starting down the hill. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me melt it before it gets too far. Right. And then this is something I'm not going to deal with right now. Anyways, there's no point in me sitting here and getting anxious about this before I go on stage and then having to take two songs to get into my mode. Right. And my happy place, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's. I mean, the, the 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 whiskey part aside, that's going to be selective for some people and some for not. Yeah. But but the, <laughs> but I like what you said. Is that you know you said I I'm gonna I have to take this worry and I I not to say like oh don't worry about it, but it's to say I can't worry about this. I functionally can't because it's not going to help me. I'm gonna put this to the side and I'll deal with this later. But I'll eventually get there. I'll eventually be yeah. able to address this and i will but for right now i'm going to focus on the thing that i can control which is this gig or this next song this thing that's right in front right. of me absolutely and i think to it like as a live performer i think that the most fun you'll ever have and i, I will speak for the all the most fun you'll ever have is if you are right there mm-hmm. just right there you're not thinking about okay i i'm gonna have to email this person and i'm gonna have to deal with that and i can't believe that person did that you know this past future back and forth that we i think as human beings and especially people with anxiety tend to do where we're constantly replaying what's already happened and then we're practice playing what's going to happen even yeah. though we have no idea um and that loop I think the most fun we can have is to just be present in it and go, I can't, I can't do anything about either sides of that. 
I can't do anything about what's already happened right now. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything about what I need to do. There's nothing can be done except this performance right now. This song we're singing right now. Mm-hmm. This is all that I can handle and deal with and do. I can't get out my laptop and work on that while I'm performing. <laughs> like, right. That's not how live performance works. So just accept that. And there's something so freeing when you're like, hold on. And I, and I do this for myself, mm-hmm. put my brain in check and go, hold on. I am on a stage. I am playing a banjo. I'm singing. I've got mm-hmm. my amazing band who I love. They're playing with me. They're supporting me. I've got these incredible fans who are either dancing or singing along or clapping along. This is it. This is, this is what I'm working for. Why am I booking all these gigs? If I'm not going to enjoy this, this is the fun part, right? Everything else I could leave to someone else happily. This is what I'm working towards. So let me just enjoy this one hour or this hour and a half or whatever it is. And the rest is going to, it's going to deal as it needs to. And that's just needs to be what it is. And I think for, anyone with anxiety the the better you can turn try to work to turn that off Mm -hmm. or compartmentalize it for the time being and go let me table this right because right now is right now that's it right well uh, also i know in in, in the sake of time unfortunately i have to release you back to the wild here but (laughs) um i i would i would love to chat more we 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 ought to just chat more yes agreed 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 well all right. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. If um, yeah. uh, for anybody listening, I'm going to post some videos of her uh, of her and her band, so you can check that out over at uh, FearCastPodcast.com. But again, Sarah Winchester, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I got it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for making it through that episode. So. Uh, if you have any other follow-up questions for Sarah Winchester or would like to uh, uh, have her on to chat a little bit about something else, uh, a little bit more detail about something that she had mentioned, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and go to the submit a question link and uh, you can ask your question there. And uh, I'm sure Sarah would be uh, uh, more than generous or more than happy to come back on uh, to share some uh, some of her further insights. So please remember, everybody, that the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions, about treatment, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can click on the uh, find help link or get help link and there'll be some information for you there. So, without, uh, so everybody, please remember uh, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.